You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Hello. All right. So if everybody could stand with me in honor of God's word as we read through Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take, to heart, take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your belongings, or your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, and dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from inequity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people, should seek instructions from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instructions. I am going to try to get through this without crying. <laughs> this has been a week. Um, and so I, <clears throat> I told Leif, I, I had a whole introduction to talk about the crumbling of culture and society and just kind of leading into Malachi chapter 2. I'm ditching that. Uh, I, I just want to share like my week with you. Uh, it started off amazing. Before we left on Sunday for the Gospel Coalition Conference, which was absolutely fantastic. It was on Exodus. John Piper started, the, uh, was the first uh, main speaker. David Platt wrapped it up. It was amazing. But before that, there's a lady who's a part of our church we've not seen in a little bit because she was receiving treatment for pancreatic cancer. Her name's Bernita. Uh, found out the week leading up to the conference that she was told she had three to 13 weeks to live. So I called her and scheduled a time for me to meet with her family Thursday night. I got back from the conference Thursday late afternoon. And uh, Thursday night I met with her after just being challenged and encouraged at, at this conference. So much about the conference. Like I'll share that with you later, some other time. But sat down with Bernita to plan her memorial service. It was very clear that she wanted to make sure that at her memorial service, the gospel was proclaimed. And so that was Thursday night. Friday, I finished preparing my memorial message for Paula. I told you about Paula. For those of you who didn't hear, Paula is my, one of the three women that have been a part of my pastoral ministry since I landed in Denver from, far, from, from the East Coast and promised them when I stepped down from Missio Day Fellowship that I, would, that I would do their funeral. All three of these ladies asked me to do their funeral. 
when the time would come that they would go home to be with the Lord. And I officiated the funeral for Lil Swanberg first. Paulo's the second one. She was 101 and a half. I have to be very clear about that. <laughs> and a half. But when you get like that old, I mean, every month counts. And so, uh, and just the sweetest person. It was full. The room was full. Paula is the uh, grandmother of Josh. I shared the story about Josh, who I took with me to Burma when I was a pastor at Northwest Baptist Church. He's the one who ate the the roast beef that was like chewing cow, like leather <laughs> and told me that his jaw hurt. That's Josh. Brenda is his mother. Josh has a younger brother, I don't know, a year or so younger, by the name of Luke. So that, yesterday, it was a blessing to be able to officiate the memorial service for Paula, to celebrate her life I, a couple weeks ago, I woke up like around 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning with Paula on my mind uh, on that particular night, just wondering, you know, I've officiated, I lost count of how many funerals and memorial services I've officiated in the last 300 days alone, but just over the years I've done many, and I wanted, I wanted a passage that just, um, just kind of echoed her, Paula's heart, because I'd never seen Paula angry ever. She's the sweetest human being in my life, but she was frustrated about one thing, and she would frequently, and I've shared this with you, she would frequently ask me when we would talk, have our phone conversations over the phone, she would frequently ask, why is God letting me live so long? I want to go home and be with him. Like, I just want to see Jesus, and that's what, like, that's what she was most excited about. Well, I woke up with Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 18 on my heart, which says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I shared the gospel at her memorial service, and at the table in front of me sat Sat Brenda and Josh and Luke and Luke's new wife of three weeks and, and Bob, Brenda's brother. I finished the memorial service. Luke, who's 31, wasn't feeling well. And he went out to his car. He has type 1 diabetes. took his medicine, ate a snack, and collapsed in the middle of the parking lot. Luke was in the youth group of Northwest Baptist Church. Luke had walked away from the Lord. To my knowledge, I don't think he ever returned. The last thing Luke heard was, I am the first and the last, I am the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore of the keys of death in Hades. Somebody ran up into the area where we're all, at this point in this, our time together, we're eating like finger food, fellowshipping, visiting with old friends. Somebody came up, was clearly distraught. Please pray for Luke. He's unresponsive in the parking lot. 
So we all stopped, and we, I told everybody, let's pray. Everybody prayed. I felt compelled to go out. And I walked out, and the color from his skin was gone, and we're doing chest compressions on him. And his, his wife of three weeks was screaming. His, his mom was being held up by two people. They picked his lifeless body up into the ambulance and they continued to try to resuscitate him. And he was dead. This is not a game. This is not a game. This is, this is the word of the Lord. This is the, we worship Yahweh, the God of all creation, who spoke the galaxies into existence. And there are people who don't know him and, and perhaps there's, there, there's the, and I mean this in no ill will, I don't mean this in a malicious way, I'm not pointing fingers, but some of you in this room do not revere the name of Yahweh. And so I, I said what I was going to say had nothing to do with Malachi, but it actually does. I think it has everything to do with Malachi as I think about it. Like we were, like this Jesus that we say we worship lived this life that we could never live, and he died a death that we deserved. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And there is no other way, no other way to have this, your sins forgiven. There is no other way. I, I stood yesterday in front of Luke and his family, and I said to them that there is only one who is the living one. There is only one who defeated the grave and rose uh, on the third day. There is only one. And I specifically said, Siddhartha Gautama is dead, Muhammad is dead, but Jesus is alive. He's alive, and there is no other way. No other way. And this is, the, this is the God that we read of in Malachi. And, and chapter 2, I'm just, you know, particularly for me, you know, as one who regularly is, is opening the book and, and, and proclaiming it, but also for us, because we are the priesthood now, we are collectively the priesthood of, you know, before Jesus Christ, all, every single one of you, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a priesthood. And so these words are applicable to us too. And these priests that were being rebuked, they didn't, they didn't revere the name of God. And so what I want to do is just, I, I want to unpack this as best as I can and just apply it to our lives in a way that doesn't cause you to feel guilt as much as feeling the weight that you, you, you're redeemed. That we may be the priesthood, but we have a high priest, Jesus the Christ. We represent him before a world that doesn't know him. My hope this morning is that you will also walk away here for if you are someone where you're like, you know, this is kind of like the religious thing. I'm just here because, I'm, you know, this is the right thing to do. I hope that you will be overwhelmed by the holiness of this God who sent his son to die for you and that you will finally and fully cross that threshold and go all in into following him. And so I really just have two points you know, the first is uh, the fear of the Lord. What is, it, what is that? 
Remember how Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, you know, in Malachi chapter 1, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, he, he said in verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a, ma- a, a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name? And I unpacked that. There are three names there describing who God is. He's a father. He is the sovereign one. He's Adonai, that's master. And he is Yahweh. He's the covenant-keeping God. Um, but what does it mean to fear him? Because that's, that's what these priests lacked in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. What does it mean to fear him? Is it like, a, like I'm petrified before him kind of a fear? No, it's, it's a whole different kind of fear. The priests did not honor or fear God, and the evidence of their lack of honor and fear for God was seen in the way that they worshipped him. It was trivial to them. It was, a, it was a burden for them. It was lackadaisical. It was, hey, you know, yeah, we just come and we check the box. Or they were just showing up thinking, well, we did our service. God should be pleased. At least we were here. They didn't, under, they didn't fear the Lord. They didn't have a proper understanding of who he is. The, the kind of fear that God expects from his people is not a fear that is contrary or at, at odds with genuine worship. It's linked to genuine wor- love and worship of, of him. We do not love God the same way that you love Wyoming sunsets. It's one of my favorite things about this state. We don't love God like the way you love your pet. We don't love God like the way I love my bicycle. <laughs> For those of you who know. It's a different kind of love. It's not even the kind of love uh, necessarily that we have of our own children or our spouse. It's, it's m- much even deeper than that. It, it, it's a love that defines us. It's all-consuming and The closest thing that we can get to that kind of, kind of love is the kind of love that you have. If you, if you had a, a good dad, some of you didn't have a very good father, but if you have had a good father, it's the kind of love that, that um, where you know this man is, not, he's, he's your advocate, he is your friend, but you dare not speak ill of him or disrespect him, right? That kind of fear. Like I had a healthy fear of my dad. If I talked back, I was in trouble, um, like there were, <laughs> um, this is not a statement on how to discipline your children, but there were no timeouts in my house. <laughs> it was a whole other type of punishment. <laughs> but it, it was a healthy fear. It, Michael Reeves, who's a past, well, a theologian, said this. He said, in a sense then, uh, and I don't have the words on the screen. So in a sense then, the trembling fear of God is a way of speaking about the intensity of the saint's love for and enjoyment of, of all that God is. Uh, I'll repeat that because I think it's so good. It's, a fear of God, it's the kind of fear of God in a way uh, that is intense. It's the, it's the intensity of the saint's love for and enjoyment of all that God is. 
So it's an enjoyment of him and, and uh, respect for who he is, and they, they, they come together, and that is the kind of fear that, we're talking about, that the Bible's talking about here. C.H. Spurgeon said that it is uh, the sort of fear which has in its very essence of love and without which there would be no joy even in the presence of God. That kind of fear. And there are some passages that, I'll, that I will have on the screen. There's Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And I just want to set the stage of it. What, the, what is this fear that these priests in Malachi 2 lacked? The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of what? wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse um, 12, let's read this together. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? You know, when it came to this promise of salvation and, and that, the, that God would take our hearts and do this thing that only he could do with it, where he would remove the hardness of our hearts and give us a heart of flesh, that's called the new covenant promise. It's something that Jesus inaugurated at the cross and through his resurrection. It's, it's, it's the problem of, of Old Testament Israel, that, that they were told to love God, but they frequently demonstrated that they could not love him in the way that he called them to love them until he did something with their hearts. In Jeremiah chapter 32, it says this, and they shall be my people, speaking of us, by the way, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And listen, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. This is why I don't believe that the Christian can indefinitely and permanently turn away from the Lord. The Bible doesn't teach that you can backslide and stay there. What the Bible teaches is that to indefinitely turn away from the Lord means that you've never knew him. You never knew him. That's why my heart is so heavy today. For Luke... You know, what is it that would, offer, would encourage the priest to offer these, you know, the second best on the altar and just kind of show up, like not even carefully considering who they were showing up before? It was because they didn't fear the Lord. There was a lack of joy in the Lord. There was a lack of love for the Lord. They, their hearts really weren't for him. They were just going through the motions. Like, like how, like they considered worshiping Yahweh as a burden, like how on, how on God's green earth can you see your worship of the God who spoke the galaxies into existence, who sent his son to live a life that we could never live and die to death that we deserve? He was scourged, he was beaten, his hair was ripped out of his face, his flesh was, was hanging from his bones, he hung there with his median nerves, pierced with nails and he hung there and he said father forgive them for they know not what they do and he said as he was dying it is finished like how can we how can we just show up and think that worship is a burden 
And these priests, like Yahweh had called them out. It's like, well, worshiping him, well, like, do we have to do that today? Why would they not listen to God's word or give honor to his name? It's because they didn't fear him. Which leads me to my second point, is that like to fear the Lord is to delight in him. So what is it, what what does it mean? What does it mean to delight in the Lord? Like we literally are worshiping the one who has given us life and is, is the purpose for our existence. And because our world has fallen, it's understandable. It's understandable why the world would behave the way the world behaves, why they would not delight in the Lord. I was going to sh- show you from just Francis Schaeffer and some other people, you know, our culture is in decline. And the reason why it's in decline is because we who were made to know God do not seek to delight in him as a culture, as a society. And of the people that should have known the joy of what it means to delight in God was, were these priests. And on, of all people, of all people that should be known for our delight in the God of all creation should be the church. Right? Like, so, so God speaks to these priests and to Malachi's contemporaries and he says, he said of Levi, my covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It's, it was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name and it was a delight. It was a delight to do that. And uh, of, of the Levitical priests, a true instruction was on his mouth. It was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. But with these priests, in Malachi chapter 2, they were turning people towards sin. They were leading them astray. But the true priests of God are known for the, the, the instruction on, on his or her lips. A fear, a genuine fear of the Lord, uh, turning people away from iniquity. Like, they were known for guarding knowledge. That's verse 7. They were known for being a, a, the, the Levi, the, the Levitical priest, Levi, was known for turning many from iniquity. He, he loved God and out of that love of this great God had a, had a, a, a right fear of him. Like he's more powerful than all the nations combined. Like Isaiah uh, chapter 40 says that, that when you compare all the military might of all the nations, it's like, a, it's like dust on the scales compared to Almighty God. It's like a drop in the bucket. He is all-powerful. This is where this is the encouraging part of my sermon, by the way. Like this God that we worship, this God who, who sent his son to die for our sins is the all-powerful one. He's infinitely powerful. He's infinitely all-knowing. He is infinitely all-present. He is just and wise. He is love, and he is so much more. He is holy. 
When Isaiah was in the presence of, 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 of God in Isaiah chapter 6, and when John experienced God on his throne in Revelation chapter 4, he heard, and I shared with everybody yesterday at the memorial service, Paula heard, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as she heard that, she knew that what the angels were singing about was the one that she called Father. This is the one that we call Father, our Heavenly Father. Think about that. The God of all creation who parted seas, spoke galaxies into existence, raised the dead from the grave, got you up this morning. You have air in your lungs and you have oxygen and you're walking and you're here. Loves you. He loves you. And the demonstration of his love for you is seen in what, what, what happened with his son. I've I, I been using and reading through the, the updated New American Standard uh, Bible lately, and, and the word that, they, that the, interpre- the translators used in, in Revelation chapter 5 to describe the death of Jesus is that he was slaughtered in our place. God slaughtered his son so that we would have salvation, so that we would know him as father. Again, Isaiah was in the presence of God. He, his response was, and it was an appropriate response, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Like, that's an appropriate response before God. Isaiah's like, I, I, I'm a sinner. I've got a, a sin problem. It hasn't been rectified yet. And then as you read in Isaiah chapter 6 later, God sends an angel who takes the coal from the altar. It's a, it's a symbolic of atonement. And he seared Isaiah's lips with it. He says, your guilt is removed. Now, who will go before me? Who will go before us? Who shall we send with his eyes on, on, on Isaiah? Isaiah said, I'll, I'll go. Like God saves and redeems so that he can send and use. And that's us, brothers and sisters. As Isaiah's response is what it looks like to stand in awe of God, in awe of his name. There's another passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, which, um, let's read this together, ready? Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures for how long? (laughs) Forever. We're recipients of that, brothers and sisters. We're recipients of that. This is what it looks like to stand in awe of him. And so, so, so God rebukes these priests. And he says in, in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2, he says, he says, look, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. 
Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. You, you do not take my words seriously. You just show up and it's a burden to you because you truly just you don't know me. Verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. Now that is probably one of the most like graphic verses in the Bible. Like That's like, no pun intended, in your face, right? Like it's, it's there. It's like, what does that mean? Here's what it means. This will probably, I don't want to take the punch out of it, but, um, <laughs> but when they would sacrifice like a bull, like that was like the most expensive sacrifice, when they would, when they would bring that to the altar, you know, when you s- killed the bull, I mean, what happens when you die? Everything dies, right? And so they would take the dung and they would take it and, the, and dispose of it outside the camp. You know what God is saying here? You don't belong to me. You are permanently disqualified from being able to serve me because you don't belong to me. And, 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 and your shame is all over you. And so I'm rejecting you. So that's the picture of spreading dung on their faces. And you know what gives me pause about this, uh, about this passage? is this how serious God takes the worship, our worship of him. Like, it is a dangerous thing. Listen, it is a dangerous thing to just show up, to read your Bible, maybe a verse or two, every once in a while throughout the week, to pray with other Christians, and to do that without revering, without honoring, without awe of the name of God. If you're wondering, is this just an Old Testament thing? No. Ananias and Sapphira showed up trying to impress the people around them, not really concerned about what God thought, and he lied about their giving Everybody else were, were sacrificially giving, and so they sold their land, and they decided, well, we'll keep some of it, but we'll let people know. We'll make it seem like we're giving all of it. So they, each of them individually on separate occasions approached Peter. <clears throat> so here, here's, the, here's, here's our offering. Here's our donation. We gave all of it. And Peter said, but why, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And both of them died, Ananias and Sapphira, that day. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and he said, you know, you want to know the reason why some of you have fallen asleep, meaning death? You're abusing the Lord's table. You show up, and it's an excuse to get drunk, to drink as much wine as you could possibly drink, and eat as much, and gorge yourselves as as, as much as possible. This is why some of you have died. The Lord has judged you. I don't know what was in the mind of Luke when he went to his car because he wasn't feeling well. But it is a fearful thing to be in the hands of a holy God. So God warns them and he he says, you've turned aside from the way You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant, which gives me pause about, 
like not only the careless things I've said over the years as a pastor, but the careless things that some of these people say, some of the books that they write, stating that God wants you to be prosperous and have lots of money. It concerns me. It should concern them. God takes the worship of himself very seriously. He goes on to say in verse 10 of, of, of chapter 1, he said, you know, oh, that there would be one among you who would just shut the doors. That's why. Here in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 through 2, the reason why he said that is because God doesn't need our worship. He didn't need the worship of, of, of these half-hearted priests, and he doesn't need the worship of half-hearted people who call themselves Christians. He doesn't need our worship. It's a privilege to show up to him. Isaiah 66 says this. He says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What does that mean? He owns it all. What is, it, what is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? I don't need those things. I don't need the temple. All these things my hand has made and all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. Let's read this together. Ready? He who was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the one to whom I will look. And you know the good news. So here's the good news. So some of you, I think probably your hearts are heavy right now and you're not sure what to do with all this. Here's the good news. We have a high priest. We have, we're, if you're a Christian, we're called as his priest, but we have a high priest. And what did that high priest do? He made a sacrifice once and for all. What was that sacrifice? It was himself. He laid himself down on the altar of the cross for your sins and for my sins to permanently pay for our sins, past, present, and future, to redeem a people and to purchase a church for himself. That's us. That is our high priest. All of our sins were laid upon that cross. And the evidence that you placed your faith and trust in Jesus is a genuine love for God. That is not just religion. This is a relationship that you have with him. Hebrews chapter 9 says, But when Jesus, or when Christ appears, a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purifications of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's our high priest. And, and if, that, if he is your high priest, <laughs> you, can, you, you can go to him in confidence knowing that the one who knew no sin became sin for you so that we might be the righteousness of God. Right? Amen? Amen. And so, uh, so 1 Peter chapter 2 is good news then when it describes us as priests. <laughs> you, ready? Let's read this together, right? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's, uh, do I, is that it? Okay, good. <laughs> All right. There's more. Read it when you go. But we're, we're his kingdom of priests. 
Jesus is our high priest and, and so much more. So I want you to hear this because in a moment, the worship team's gonna come up, lead us um, you know, in two songs, one for communion, and, and I don't want you to just, I don't wanna lead you through this, I just want you to open it and take it when you're ready. But I just want you to hear this. Jesus is our high priest and so much more. So I was just reflecting. Who's Jesus? Now, this is not exhaustive. This is just, these are just the titles and names of Jesus that came to mind um, that I looked up in my Bible, and I just, I'll share them with you. Jesus is our high priest and so, more, so much more. What does that mean? He is the Almighty, and He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author of life. He is the bread from heaven, and He is the bread of life, and He is the bright morning star. He is the chief shepherd, he is the Christ, and he is the deliverer. He is the good shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. He is the rightful heir of all things. He is uh, the holy and righteous one, the horn of salvation, the great I am. He is the light of the world, the gate for the sheep, the resurrection and the life, the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord of glory. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is the Word made flesh. He is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He is the Savior, and He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. So, <laughs> why, in the words of our Savior Jesus Christ, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? You who are a priest before God, before Jesus, are you listening to his words? What is he telling you to do that you are refusing to do? What is he saying to let go of that you are refusing to let go of? Is your life motivated by a right fear of genuine love for the one who ransomed your soul and made you a son or a daughter? As his priests, we should be known as men and women who guard knowledge. Are you guarding knowledge? Are you in a place in your relationship with Jesus that people are able to seek instruction from you? Are you known for being an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when people come to you, you're not going to tell them something they want to hear, but tell them something that they need to hear. That, that doesn't win you a whole lot of friends, especially if you're a pastor. Are you in a place in your relationship with Jesus that people are seeking instruction from your mouth? Are you known as a messenger of the Lord? I just leave you with these words. I've, we spent some time on these, especially Matthew chapter 7. Last week you did. <laughs> and, um, and when I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does what? Does the will of my Father. Now he's not talking about this is the way you earn your salvation. The evidence that you belong to him is that you love him. That you love him so much that you are put off by your sin. That you're disgusted by your sin. That your appetites are changing. You may still sin, 
but you're not longing to run into it anymore like you once used to. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.